Um, well, if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. Okay, the book of 1 Timothy is where we've been now for five weeks. Uh, we're going to be in this book all the way until Easter Sunday. Okay, Easter Sunday we'll do something different and then we'll tackle a different series after that. But we're just walking straight through the book of 1 Timothy in a series that we're calling Healthy Church. And the whole point of this series is we're taking a look at what Paul instructed Timothy to do. Paul was Timothy's mentor. Timothy was young and he's in ministry and he's a pastoral representative of the churches in Ephesus. And what Paul was telling Timothy is really what the structure of the church should look like. Also, he's telling young Timothy how the church should function practically speaking. So we've been diving into this. We saw a warning against false teaching. We also saw how we celebrate the amazing grace of God. Last week we started what I told you was a really strange way of, of starting a text. Um, he was talking about elders and pastors in the church and their role that they play. And I told you if you were our guest, you were going to think that last week was weird. Well, if you're giving us a, another try this week, you're going to think even this is weirder. okay? Because we're going from pastors and elders, which are the same thing, um, all the way to deacons. And I know that deacons is a term that has been misused and misappropriated in the life of the church for a long, long time. Um, I think the history of the church proves that they got deacons right. I think somewhere along the way, we started to get deacons wrong. We placed them in a parallel position or lateral position with pastors and elders, and that, that turns into a grave mistake. Uh, so we're going to look at what a healthy uh, deacon uh, ministry should uh, and could look like, and I actually think um, this is one thing that we here at Eagles Landing do really well. Um, so we're going to be able to compliment ourselves a little bit today because I think we do have a very healthy deacon ministry as far as it is structured in the life of the church. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But what I also want you to do is I want you to jump over backwards to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. It's hard to talk about deacons and not visit these two texts of Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Acts chapter 6. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to start in Acts chapter 6, and then we're going to conclude our time together in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So I think you'll appreciate this journey that we're going to be on this morning. I told you last week in our first part of this sermon, this sermon we divided into two parts. This sermon's called The House Hold of God. We divide it into part one, elders and pastors, synonymous there. And this is part two. We're going to talk specifically about deacons. But I told you last week uh, that the most common metaphor used in Scripture to describe the church is what? It's the family, okay? It's the family. If you weren't here last week, you didn't hear that. But if you were, make sure you remember that. The most common metaphor used to describe the church throughout Scripture is the family. Listen. You and I are born into the world sinners. We sin by nature, but we're also sinners by choice. We deliberately rebel against the holy God. That, that's who we are. And because of this sin, the Bible tells us that we're forever separated from the holy God that you and I were created to exist and to thrive within, right? So we, because of sin, we're now forever separated from God. The Bible says that we now are what's called children of wrath. But if we place our faith and our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, who alone atoned for our salvation, if we place our faith and surrender our life over to his lordship, the Bible says we transition from being children of wrath to becoming children of God. That means we're now no longer strangers of, or aliens. We're now actually adopted 
into the family of God. This is a family. We're a family, a household of God. So within this family, we have different roles that we all play, just like the nuclear family has different roles that the husband plays, the wife plays, and even the, the kids play. So too does the church. The church family has different roles that different people will play. So we're looking at that today. The role we looked at last week was pastor elder. The role we're looking at this week is the role of deacons. Here's the big idea. Okay, this is where we're headed today. If you want to write this down, this is hopefully uh, where, you'll, where we will land the plane at the end. Here's the big idea. Healthy churches have or must have humble servants. Healthy churches must have humble servants. More specifically, I would say it this way. Healthy churches must have healthy and humble deacons. So let's get started this morning by looking at Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says this in Acts chapter 6, 1. It says, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number. You can stop there. This is what's happening. The church is growing. The disciples who place their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus are now telling other people about Jesus. And they're coming to know Christ. So these disciples, by mere definition, are making disciples. That's what they're doing. And the church is growing, and it says, because of the church is growing, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the author here is he's presenting to you a problem, that there's a complaint that arose in the church. The Hellenists are complaining against the, the, really the traditional Jews because they're saying here, hey, the widows have been neglected in the life of the church. That's the problem. And then we're going to get a solution in verse 2. It says, and the 12, talking about the, the elders or the pastors here, summoned the full number of disciples and said, is it not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables? That's, that actual word right there, serve tables, is where your word deacon comes from. Okay. Now it's not used in the sense of an office here, but it is used in the sense of service here. And we'll talk about that later. So it says, is it not right that we should give up preaching the word, the pastors and the elders, so that we can serve tables? Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said, these elders, these pastors and the congregation said, it pleased the whole congregation, the Bible says, the whole gathering. And they chose seven men. Verse 6. They, then they, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. That's the key. Okay? The complaint could have caused hindrance to the word of God increasing. The complaint could have caused distraction from the gospel advancing. But because they dealt with the problem and they provided a solution, the Bible tells us that the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, it is not 100% certain, but most commentators will tell you that Acts chapter 6 is the inception of the deacon ministry and the life of the church. One of the things I do think that we get out of this text is the order by which they identified the deacon to the time in which they implemented the deacon into a role of service. The Bible says, first, a need arose. Second, the church identified seven people who were full of the Spirit. 
Third, the congregation affirmed those people. Fourth, they laid their hands and prayed on those people. And then fifth, they continued to do their ministry. Now, in the Bible, there is a whole lot that we do not know about deacons. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to focus on the things that we do know, okay? We're going to take Scripture for what it gives us and focus our time and attention on the things that we do know. There's a few things that I think we know about deacons according to Scripture. I'm going to give you a few of those, and then we're going to go over to 1 Timothy. First, the thing that I think we know about deacons is this. We know that deacons are servants. We know that deacons are servants. The Greek word here for deacon actually means the word servant. This word, in fact, this Greek word for deacon is used 29 times throughout the New Testament. But only four of those times is it in reference to the actual office. It's, it's referenced to the actual office in Romans 16, verse 1. It's referenced to the office in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And then it's referenced as an office here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8, and then also verse 12. So it's 29 times it's mentioned, actually over 100 times in Scripture, but 29 times in the New Testament, and only four of them actually refer to the actual office or position of the deacon ministry. In Acts chapter 6, the text that we read today, this is the most frequently associated verse or passage that's used for the office of deacon. But what's interesting is the word deacon is not used, or it's actually it is used as a verb, what someone's doing, rather than a noun, who someone's supposed to be. And that's important. It's imperative that we understand that. That even here in Acts chapter 6, it's being used not in the form of the office of, uh, of a deacon. It's actually being used in the form of just service within the church. So listen to what the elders of the church say. They say this. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That's what the pastors in this church in Acts chapter 6 are saying. That's what the elders are saying. To serve tables means to deacon. It's the picture, really, of a waiter at a restaurant. And, and this is the picture that's being painted for us on what a deacon actually should, should do. Think about a waiter at the restaurant. We talked about this last week a little bit. But think about a waiter at a restaurant. You go in, you sit down, he takes your order, he takes your drink order, and he brings it to your table. He has to anticipate what needs are going to arise so that he can meet those needs. That's what a deacon's supposed to do in the church. In the restaurant, if you don't have silverware, you can't eat your food. So he needs to anticipate, if there's not silverware on the table, I'm going to go get silverware for you, and I'm going to put it at the table. If you start to, you know, your drink gets a little low, he anticipates, she's going to be thirsty, he's going to be thirsty. I'm going to go and top their drink off. If your steak comes to the table and you cut into that steak, and some of you, you're like, I'm a well-done type of person. I don't know why anybody would do their steak well done. Um, you just kind of, you just literally cooked all the flavor out of it. But it comes to the table and they cut into it and it's medium. Well, you well-done people, you don't tolerate medium, right? Like, you're not going to play with that game. So, so you're going to complain, kind of like these people did in the scripture. But what does the server do? The server sees that response, or he, leads, he knows what you ordered, and it's not right, so he fixes, he corrects the problem. He steps into the problem to provide a solution. And that's exactly what the deacon is supposed to do. He sees a need in the church, 
He doesn't wait. He anticipates. He starts to provide solutions to the problems that he sees that are arriving. If he hears a complaint, he goes and he pushes that complaint down. He suppresses it. He deals with the problem so that it doesn't turn into something bigger or to something greater. They go out of their way, waiters do, to demonstrate, or deacons do, to demonstrate the gospel in a very practical way. That's what a deacon does. Here's something that we need to understand as a church family this morning. You can be a servant and not a deacon, but you cannot be a deacon and not a servant. You understand that? Many of you, if not all of you, in fact, I would say this is something that we as a church do really, really well. I think Brian has told me before that over 60% of our congregation, our members, serve in some capacity within our church. That is an impeccable number. That's incredible that we have men and women who embrace servanthood here when they become a part of our church family. It's an expectation that we have on the people who are joining the work that we're doing here. But here's the thing. You can be a servant and not a deacon. You just can't be a deacon and not be a servant. It is the responsibility of every child of God to use their gifts, their skills, to serve the body of Christ. If you're not doing that, you're not obeying the word of God. It's the responsibility of us all to do that. However, some of those people that do that, they will be observed and they'll be moved into an office as deacon. So the first thing that we see in scripture is that deacons are servants. That's what deacons are, they're servants. But there's a second thing, we're taking the first thing another step here actually. The second thing is this, deacons are leaders in the church who serve. So deacons are leaders in the church who serve. Think about this from Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. This is where it's referred to as an office of deacons, right? First, or for Philippians 1, 1, it says this, Paul and Timothy, they're writing together, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So all the churches sprout through Philippi, Paul and Timothy are writing to these guys. And this is what it says, with the overseers and deacons. It is incredibly interesting that when referring to the offices of the church that Paul writes to the both elders, the pastors, and the deacons. The, these two are two uh, offices, if you will. One of the offices has authoritative voice. That's the pastors, that's the elders. The other office serves the body and also serves those who have the authoritative voice. So, so the second office, the deacon, is a servant to the pastors and the elders, but he also is a servant to the body at large. Church family, we get ourselves into trouble when we elevate one of these positions and make it a parallel position with the first one. This is where churches get in so much disarray is they elevate the office of deacon to be a lateral or to be a parallel position of the office of pastor or elder. Scripture nowhere indicates that that ought to be so. We don't do it that way here, but there's a lot of churches who do. Here's what we need to understand about this particular text. Elders, they serve by leading, but deacons, they lead by serving. That is how you draw a distinction between the two. Elders, the service that the pastors bring to the church is by their leadership. And for deacons, the leadership that they bring to the church is their service. 
They are different. You just have to pay attention to those distinctions. See, again, every child of God is called to emulate Christ in servanthood. We're on this journey to where we are looking more and more and more like Jesus. And Jesus was the ultimate example of what a servant should look like. Think of Mark 10, 45. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So one, God did not put a limitation on the amount of service that he gave. And we become more like him when we step into sacrificial giving in and of ourselves. This is actually why deacons are often referred to in many churches, even throughout church history, as servant leaders. Because they are servants first and they lead by way of their service. See, not only does a deacon serve, but they take it another step. Deacons actually help the body serve too. They help you serve. One of their roles that they play is that they try to mobilize the body into a place of service. One of the things that we have to be careful about when we think about deacon ministry is this. The word deacon and servant are not actually synonyms, okay? The way that it translates, the Greek word for deacon does translate as the word servant uh, just because of the limitations to our English vocabulary, but it's a dangerous position when you start to hold to deacon and servant as actually being synonyms. They're not synonyms. If they were, then every single person who served would also be a deacon, and that's not true. We see that because it's mentioned 29 times, and only four of those are in the capacity of an office. So um, the difference between deacons and servants is that deacons lead, and they equip the rest of the body to serve too. That's one of the things, that's one of the roles that deacons play. Deacons understand that believers look most like Jesus when they step into their own specific place of service. What does that mean? If you're a deacon at our church, what does that mean? It means for you that one of the roles that you should be playing here is you're helping identify people, not only get connected to the life of the church, but actually use their gifts to serve the body the way that God has designed them to serve it. But it also means that you're taking your role seriously by serving the church, or by leading the church through your practical service. So the second thing we see is that deacons are leaders in the church who serve. But there's a third thing that I think the scriptures are clear about when it comes to deacons. Third, deacons humbly serve the elders and congregation by meeting practical needs. Let's say that again. Deacons humbly serve the elders, the pastors, and the congregation, the members, by meeting practical needs. See, deacons free up the pastors so that the pastors, the elders, can focus their time and attention on prayer and teaching the word of God. You saw this in Acts chapter 6. They, they said this twice in Acts chapter 6, that we need to focus our attention on praying and focus our attention on teaching the word of God and studying theology, things of that nature, and the deacon is there to meet the practical need. They serve by tending to the practical and even the logistical needs of the body. In Acts chapter 6 that we looked at just a moment ago, we saw that the church here in Acts 6 is growing rapidly. What happens when you grow rapidly? Growing churches have growing pains. And one of the pains within this particular body in Acts chapter 6 is that suddenly some of the people in that body didn't feel like they were cared for. I mean, anytime your church starts to grow, guess what happens to the pastors or even the deacons? They start to have to share their time with more and more people. 
So sometimes the needs of specific people uh, get unmet. And you know what that's like. Some of you, you've been in churches like that. Some of you have been in this church and feel like maybe we don't give you the, the time and attention that you need. And you have to understand that, that they say that for a pastor, a, a high-capacity leader can only manage the life of 100 people. So, so the rule of thumb in church is that you need to have one pastor per every 100 member or every 100 congregants. That's the rule of thumb. Now, can you imagine this? Like, listen, I have trouble managing my own house of six people. Could you imagine trying to manage a hundred different personalities, a hundred different opinions, a hundred different preferences? There are some people, they're not needy, man. You don't ever hear from them. And there's other people, they're like excessively needy. You always hear from them. You know what it's like. And that's not, we're not saying one's bad and one's not. We're not saying that at all. All we're saying is because of that, it's a difficult task. There's no way that one human being can accomplish it all. So in Acts 6, the problem here was that the widows, which by the way were a very vulnerable group of people, they were being neglected and overlooked in their daily distribution of food. They depended on this food in order for them to live and to thrive. And they were being neglected of it. They weren't receiving their daily distribution. So what does the Bible say in verse 2? It says, The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What the pastors in this text are not saying, they're not saying, hey, we're above that line of duty. Like, that is beneath us. We don't do that kind of stuff. We don't go out and serve tables, and we don't go out to meet practical and logistical needs. The pastors were not saying that. What they were saying is that anything that robs us or prohibits us or hinders us from praying and preaching the word, we've got to delegate out to deacons so that they can be a part of us, an extension of us, to do the work that God has called us ultimately here to do. See, the deacons serve the table so that elders can remain focused on devoting themselves to teaching, to praying, and even to leading the church. Let me say it like this. The deacons protected their pastors by taking things off of their plate so that the pastors could focus their attention on prayer and ministry of the word. What does that actually look like, practically speaking, in the life of the church? I want to say this as um, humbly and really as gently as, as I can, and I've actually rehearsed this because I really want this to land in the way that I intend. You need to understand, all of us need to understand, if you're a member of Eagles Landing, that your pastors care uh, immensely about you. Like, we love you. We care about you. We pray for you. And we genuinely desire to be a part of your lives in every way possible. We want to celebrate when you have kids that are born. We want to celebrate uh, monumental days of your life when your kids get married. We want to mourn and weep with you when you lose someone that you love. Or maybe you're traveling through sickness or a bad health report. We want to be there. We want to pray for you. We want to partner with you and hold arms with you and cry with you and love on you and celebrate with you. We genuinely want to do that. Unfortunately, we can't do that for everybody. So we've had to structure ourselves according to the Bible so that we could do what God has called us to do well for his glory. And for some of us, it really hurts us if a pastor doesn't call when we have someone who's sick in the hospital. And listen, 
that doesn't mean that we don't care about you. That doesn't mean that we're overlooking you. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that we've, we've allowed someone to be an extension of us to go and visit you. So if you don't hear from us directly, just know that we try to train our people, our deacons. We try to train even our pastoral representatives that we have that do pastoral care type ministry to bring that back to us so that if we feel like, hey, you really probably need to call this family, we will do it. We will do it. We have no problem doing that. All I want you to know, though, is that the expectation that we got to be all things to all people is just it's an unrealistic expectation. So what I'm asking out of you is as those things happen, because life does happen, be generous and be charitable towards us and trust that we do care and we are praying and we are asking about you and trying to get reports back so that we can know how to specifically pray. So deacons humbly serve the elders and congregation by meeting practical needs. And then there's a fourth thing. There's a fourth thing that deacons do. Deacons preserve the unity of the church. Deacons preserve the unity of the church. See, when deacons serve the needs of the body, the Bible tells us that the unity of the church is actually preserved. And that's what we learned, what, three sermons ago. That's something worth fighting for. We want our church to be unified. What compelled, though, the development of deacons in Acts chapter 6? That's a question that's worth us asking. Hey, if they decided to implement deacons, what compelled them to do so? Well, it tells us, verse 1, it says this. Now, in the days when the disciples were increasing in number, pay attention, a complaint by the Hellenists arose. Having deacons is not a food issue. Having deacons is not an issue around somebody not getting their daily distribution. Having deacons is a unity issue. Unity is a biblical issue. Having food or not is not. However, because the physical needs was important, the deacons took action so that the physical needs of people could be met. When division was forming and complaint arose, these deacons, the Bible says, took action. They did what they could do in order to preserve the unity of the church. Listen to me, church family. The church leaders, no matter what office you hold, will not sweep things under the rug. We can't do that here at our church, and we shouldn't do that at any church. Instead, we've got to be willing to take action so that the unity of the body can be preserved. When we think about deacons in the life of the church, we're looking for people who love Jesus. We're looking for people who love their church. Man, they'll do anything to preserve the unity within the body. We're looking for people who do nothing to cause any sort of division or hindrance to the progression or advancement of the gospel within the church. We're looking for people who who, who are slow to speak and quick to listen, people who don't run around and gossip and slander. We're looking for people who love the people within the, the body and they fight for peace within the body of Christ. We're looking for people who are willing to step in and be a shock absorber when they hear things that are causing turmoil or division. Let me say it like this. Deacons are problem solvers, not problem starters. That's what a deacon is supposed to be, biblically speaking, is a problem solver, not a problem starter. When they see a problem or they hear a problem, the deacon takes the necessary steps to see that that problem dissipates or disappears. Any division, no matter how big it is, no matter how small it is, 
anything that would distract the church from its ability to make disciples, deacons are willing to step in and create solutions so that the gospel can continue to advance. You know, when I think about deacons, I think about it like this. Every deacon, just like every church member, has a bucket of water in one hand and has a can of gasoline in another. And when they stumble upon division or discord or disunity, when they stumble upon slander or gossip or things that aren't edifying to the body of Christ or even exalting to the name of Christ, because they will stumble upon that. You will stumble upon it. I will stumble upon it. We all will stumble upon it. We have a choice to make. We can either pour gas on the fire or we can pour water on the fire. What the Bible is saying here is that deacons choose to pour water on the fire to put it out rather than to allow the fire to spread to cause even more division and discord in the life of the church. The deacons fight to put fires out and to put division out. Now that's what a deacon does. Those are the four things we see emphatically throughout Scripture that a deacon does. But what's interesting is the Bible spends more time explaining what a deacon must be than what a deacon must actually do. Very interesting. So we're going to flip over now to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to talk about what a deacon must be rather than just what a deacon must do. What must a deacon be? There's going to be two things I'm going to show you this morning. First is deacons must have a healthy personal life. The second thing I'm going to show you is that deacons must have a healthy home life. We're going to get there. So let's begin first with deacons must have a healthy personal life. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says this in verse 8. It says, deacons likewise must be dignified. You remember how when we talked about elders, we said that they must be above reproach. And the word above reproach is the umbrella by which every other qualification exists. That if you are above reproach, you're going to be self-controlled. You're not going to be a lover of money. And all the other qualifications fall in place. So the real qualification there is that you're above reproach. Same thing with deacons. The umbrella qualification is that you're dignified. And every other qualification falls up under that umbrella. What does dignified actually mean, though? Some of your translations use the word reverent. What this word actually means is that you have honorable character. It does not mean that the deacon must be perfect. Instead, the deacon must be humble. The deacon must be repentant. The deacon must be a worthy model to emulate in the life of the church. He must be teachable. And then what happens here is Paul gives us three negatives and then three positives to explain what this word dignified actually means. So we're going to begin with the three negatives because that's where Paul begins here. First, he says, they must not be double-tongued. They must not be double-tongued. See, the nature of the role of being a deacon means that you will interact with a variety of people. And some of the people that as deacons you will interact with are people who are struggling. They're people who have experienced loss. Here in Acts chapter 6, there were people who were complaining about something that was happening in the life of the church. You're going to run across people who are disgruntled because a need might not have been met. And what the Bible is telling us here is that they're not double-tongued. They're not going to say one thing just to appease you and then go back and say another thing behind your back. 
They're going to say, they're going to speak with consistency and with constancy because the message that they're there to speak on behalf of isn't a message of their own. It's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Deacons don't change their message based on who they're talking to. They don't say one thing to one group and then another thing to another group. They're not double-tongued. Then the Bible says, secondly, not only are they not double-tongued, but they're not addicted to much wine. Their spouse's name is not Chardonnay, right? Remember we kind of said this last week. But they're not addicted to much wine. In other words, nothing should enslave the deacon's heart. Nothing should impair the deacon's judgment. Their cravings will not be, their cravings in life will not hinder their witness for the gospel. That's what it means when he says not addicted to much wine. He says third, not greedy for dishonest gain. Again, same thing he said to elders. This means that they will not be lovers of money, that they will be good faithful stewards of all the things that they possess. Really, what's getting, the, the bottom line here is that their hearts are going to be ruled by God and ruled by God alone. So they're not double-tongued. They're not addicted to much wine. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. And then there's three positives that Paul gives, three positives. In verse 9 he says, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What's the mystery of the faith? It means that they must hold to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I love how 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it. That God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That should blow our mind. When we think about who we are in light of who God is, it is a mystery that you and I cannot fathom. But yet it is true because the scripture says it's true. And this is something that the deacon, just like the pastor and the elder, just like every member of the church, should not be able to shake and get over. See, being a deacon requires the ministry of hands, the ministry of head, and the ministry of heart. It's hand work and head work and hard work. You serve with your hands, but you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your mind. So they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. But secondly, in verse 10, and let them first be tested. Why be, why be tested? Because the test will prove their genuineness. The test will prove their authenticity. You observe them. Remember, these qualifications, majority of them are observable in nature. You have a period of time where you are able to observe their character, observe their conduct, and you see if they're worthy of this particular office. Listen, church, many churches get themselves in bad positions by not doing their due diligence in ordaining deacons. Many churches get themselves in really bad positions because they fail to do their due diligence before they ordain deacons. Now listen, Paul doesn't tell us, hey, that fella or that woman, whatever the case may be, that person must be in the church for 10 years before they can be you know what, Deacon? It doesn't say that. He doesn't give us a time frame. So in our policies and procedures here, if you come from another church, whatever the case may be, you have to be here for a year before we allow you to become a deacon. But here's what you need to know. If we see you, we observe in your character and your conduct, and man, that person fits the script of what a deacon should be. Man, they serve, they're active, they're faithful, they, they, they're shock absorbers, they suppress gossip, like they do everything that a deacon is required to do. If we see that, in a year's time, 
we're probably still going to do our due diligence and check in with your previous church just to make sure that the character and conduct that we're seeing over the past year matches and is identical to the character and conduct that they've seen. That's fair. That's just doing our due diligence. It's just like doing a background check, per se, on an employee. We're just checking to make sure before we move forward and put this person in an office that we, that we know that we know that we know that this person fits the script. And when that's not done, and listen, it's often not done in the life of the church, bad things can happen. People can squeak through the cracks. So how do we test we examine their character, the history of service within the church, their reputation among others, including previous church, and even their own spiritual maturity. That's some of the things that we do. And then it says, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So the first thing that we see is they must have a healthy personal life. The second thing we see is they must have a healthy home life. This is the third positive. Okay, gave you three negatives. Here's three positives. This is the third of the three in verse 11. It says, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their household well. All right. For many of you, you can get stuck in the weeds on this verse. This, in fact, verse uh, 11, is the most controversial verse of the entire passage. Here's what I'm going to do for you today. I'm going to save the controversy for another day, all right? Their wives, their wives is not a good translation of what the Greek actually says. The word there is actually completely omitted in the Greek. It doesn't even exist. So it could actually begin with the word wives, but a better translation of the word is women. So some people use this to argue for women deaconesses. You see that. We have an example of that over in Romans chapter 16 with Phoebe who the Bible refers to as a deacon there. However, you're probably wondering, where where are we going to land as a church? Well, I don't know. We're actually exploring that together. By the way, it is okay for me to say that. It's okay for me to say, hey, we're looking into Scripture as your pastors, as your elders, trying to decide what is permitted, what is not, and how do we stay biblically biblically faithful to what the Bible wants for us as a church moving forward. Removing the outside noise and just seeking Scripture together. So what we're going to do is we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about that after our pastors and elders have met. We've discussed it. We've, we've dueled it out together because that's what we like to do. We like to push back on each other. Hey, we're, we want people pushing against this, you know, whatever side of the aisle you stand on. But what you do need to know is that this is uh, a controversial topic within the life of the church, and more so now than before. What you also need to know is church history permitted women to be deacons. That did not evolve until later, and it's actually turning back the tide again here in most recent years. So if you follow the likes of Danny Aiken, Tony Marita, David Platt, um, I'm just trying to think of names off the top of my head, uh, John Piper, John MacArthur, all those people, those people are going to tell you that it's probably permissible. Those are all people that many of you have been formed and shaped by, and you didn't even know that. Um, So all that to say, we're going to come back to the weeds of this text later. For today, I want you to get what it's generally speaking about. You can study that on your own, generally speaking about, so that we can see what deacons must have a healthy home. Okay, Deacons, their godliness must extend, the Bible saying, to their closest relationships. That's all it's saying, is their godliness must extend to their closest relationships. Where are their closest relationships? Well, they're in the home. 
A family not serious about Jesus is a family that's not qualified for this specific role. Really, there's about, I don't know, seven questions that you could ask to see if this person qualifies. These are actually borrowed from Tony Marita. I'm going to run through these, and then we're going to land the plane here. First, is this person mature? Talking about, is he qualified for deacon? Second, is this person not double-tongued? Third, is this person not addicted to anything? Fourth, does this person love the word? Fifth, has this person been tested? Sixth, do they avoid slander? Seventh, does this person have a healthy marriage? And then finally, eighth, is this person a good parent? Here's what we need to understand. Being a deacon is actually a richly rewarding experience. Timothy ends by saying, for those who have served well as deacons acquired a good standing for themselves. What Timothy is essentially saying here is that few things are more attractive than a Christian that's dedicated to humble, Christ-like service. That's all he's saying. And then there's another thing that we should land the plane on. Not only being a deacon is it richly rewarding, but secondly, when deacons fulfill their responsibility, the Bible tells us that great things begin to happen. Great things begin to happen. Acts 6, 7 states, So the word of God spread... The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. When the deacons served the needs of the body, the Bible tells us that the Great Commission, the gospel, continued to advance. So we're going to end our time together this week, much like we did last week. I'm going to invite right now the deacons of Eagles Landing to come join me on stage so that you can put faces with names, so that you can know, hey, those are the deacon body here. Our elders and pastors are going to join them. They're going to stand behind them on stage, and we're going to pray over our deacons. One of the things that I think that you would want to know while these men are moving, one of the things that you would want to know um, is that we have kind of revamped our deacon ministry over the past year. Now, we're still kind of implementing some of this and trying to figure out how it's going to roll out. But what you need to know is here in the, in the near future, we're actually going to be trying to identify and implement more deacons to serve some of the needs of the church. So our eyes are going to be looking for men, and, for men that are faithful and meet the criteria that we've talked about here. And uh, we'll start walking through that process with you. Uh, in a couple of months. So that's what that will look like. But for today, I wanted you to see these people, these men that are behind me, these deacons, they have actually been partnered with an elder or a pastor. And the reason we've partnered them with one is because that's what they're here to do. They're here to serve the practical needs of the church. So if Shay Massengale, our pastor of senior adults, if he oversees our widow ministry, and if he oversees um, our senior adults, whatever the case may be. Uh, we have like Pat Hembry, who's up here, um, who kind of helps him serve uh, those particular needs. Um, so we've divided them up according to where we feel like they are, are gifted so that they can serve the body of Christ well for the glory of God. So first, I want to say thank you uh, to the men that are standing here, each and every one of them, who serve so faithfully to make sure that your needs are met on a daily basis. Can you put your hands together as a way of thanking these guys? And second, I've asked Jay Fuller, Jay Fuller is one of our leaders here, um, I've asked him to voice our prayer over our deacons today as we can kind of lay hands on them and recommission them, if you will, as deacons in the life of our body together. So can we pray uh, as uh, Jay voices this prayer out loud? Yeah, church family, if you want to stand with us and if you're comfortable, just maybe reach out a hand and direct it towards the guys who are on stage and let's pray together for this, uh, this amazing group of guys. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Everything we do and say here today is for you and from you. We thank you for our chance to sing together, to lift voices and instruments up to you. We thank you for a chance to hear from your word. We thank you for a pastor who rightly divides that word and proclaims it with boldness and confidence. And today, God, we thank you for a chance to honor these men up on stage who have chosen to accept the call of deacon. And so we pray right now that you would protect them and their families, that you would watch over them and guide them, that you would help them understand, as we've heard today, this amazing gift they've been given to serve the church, to serve the body. God, I pray that we would not uh, look at them as someone who is insignificant in the life of our church. And I pray that they would not look at this position as an insignificant position, but rather a vital part of the body of Christ and the local church. So I pray that you would guide them and guide their hearts, that you would protect their eyes, protect their ears, guide them as they lead and as they serve. I pray for their families, that you would protect them as well, that you would show them how to manage their, their households well, and that you would help them to fully understand what we heard today and the vital role that they play. So God, thank you for what we've heard in scripture today, for what you have taught us in scripture today. Thank you for the important role that they play. Thank you for the way that they've accepted that position to serve. And so we pray for them today that you would just elevate their gifts and that they would serve effectively and that we as a church can be a light in this community and that you would show us how to do that. So thank you today for that. I pray that you would encourage them and that we as a church body would also encourage them. When they see an issue, when they see a problem, when they see division, that they would know how to rightly divide that and just help settle that. Now, thank you for our pastors, our elders, and I pray that you would continue to guide and bless them as they lead this congregation. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's pray our hands together again and thank these guys for their service. Thank you, guys. Now, as way of conclusion today, while you're still standing, I put in my notes that clarity is kindness, right? I wanna make sure that you're hearing what I am saying and not hearing what I'm not saying. So if you're here, raise your hand. If you're here, put your hand down. Now, if you're here again, raise your hand. There's still, there's still some of you that are here. All right, here, here's what I need you to hear. Listen, one of our duties is to dig into the depths of scripture to find out what God says that should shape us. We don't want culture shaping us. We don't want opinions shaping us. We don't want, you know, different commentaries even shaping us because they're fallible too. We want the word of God to shape us. So what we're trying to do as, as leaders of the church is we're trying to figure out where we're gonna land our plane on some of these challenging and controversial subjects. I'm asking for you to join us in prayer. Pray for us that the Lord would make it crystal clear to us where we need to go, okay? That's all I'm asking. So that when we get there, we know without a shadow of a doubt that we're being faithful to the text of scripture. That's what we're after. We let this book be our final authority. Can I get a witness? This book is our final authority. So I invite you to pray with us as we continue to figure those things out. But secondly, just know that this role of deacon, you're probably thinking, well, man, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of unscathed here because I don't meet some of those qualifications, but it's good because I'm not trying to be a deacon. <laughs> well, that's not necessarily true. 
Like, honestly, everything that there's an expectation to be a deacon is, is really the same expectations that God has for us as normal church members. So I, I challenge you to go through that list and to think, Lord, where might I fall short? And do I exhibit the same humble repentance that these men exhibit when it comes to you showing me where I fall short? You know one of the most beautiful things in the life of the church is when men and women come together and repent. And we just say, you know what, God, we don't measure up. We fall short. And the good news is, is we don't have to. We don't have to be perfect because he was already perfect for us. Praise the Lord. Jesus has already done everything necessary for us. So as a way of responding, I just want you to check your own heart. Use some of these things that we talked about today and ask yourself, you know, do I measure up to that? Can that be said about me? Father, have your will and have your way as we respond to your word. We'll give you all the praise and glory for what you do. It's in Christ's name we pray.